Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. How many of you have followed with us for the first couple of times we've been through Ephesians? Okay. Uh, let me review some fundamentals for you, things that we've talked about that you're probably going to reference uh, as we go through the book quite a bit. First thing to notice is that this book divides very neatly into two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. And if you gave each one of those parts a sentence, then the whole book could be described this way. Christian, you are wealthy. You might be thinking, somebody tell my wallet. No, he's talking about spiritual blessings. Christian, you are wealthy. That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. Now, walk worthy. Walk worthy of the enormous investment that the Lord has poured into you. Okay, uh, let's kind of work backwards. The second half of the book, chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is writing from a jail cell. So he's certainly not materially wealthy, but he says, chapter 4, verse 1, Now that I've told you about all these tremendous riches, now walk worthy of your calling. Okay, first half of the book, chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is what you're responding to when you get to chapter 4, verse 1. The fact that God has made you wealthy. Maybe not materially, but you are rich. If you're a Christian, you are rich in spiritual blessings. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, that means speak well of. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual, doesn't say material, but spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is taking a spiritual inventory. Came up with a clever name. At least I say so, that it's clever. Our in him inventory. Because these are things you will only find in him, in Christ. Believer, if you are in Christ... This is us going through and noticing, oh, I already have that in my inventory. If you're an unbeliever, then I believe God brought you here this morning. Even though these are not yet yours, you don't possess them. He wants you to. So these are available to you, but only in Him, in Christ. Okay? We looked at uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 last week, beginning this inventory. So, speaking to, as a review, speaking to every Christian here this morning, this is what I can tell you from last week. If you're a Christian here this morning, you are, number one, innocent in His eyes. You are justified, just as if you'd never sinned. I know it's unbelievable. I know some of you. (laughs) But you're justified in His eyes. Number two, you're chosen in advance. That means before he ever knew you, he chose you. Well, he knew you, but before I knew you, he chose you. Before the foundation of the world. Now, when you think about that, it actually is a huge thing in the inventory because this is what it means. It means your salvation is not dependent upon your grit, but his grace. You getting to heaven is not dependent upon your merit, but his mercy. Not upon your righteousness, because it's terrible, it's woefully inadequate, but instead on His righteousness credited to your account. 
Okay, number three in your inventory, you, Christian, are chosen to be in his family. And that's extravagant when you think about it. Again, if he wanted to just save you from hell, he could have said, all right, I've made two heavens, that one for you guys and this one for me. To go and adopt us, to bring us into his family is way above and beyond what he needed to do. So we now have the privilege to come into his throne room, boldly into his throne room, just like a five-year-old into the the throne room of a king, of his dad. That's the kind of access that we have. Number four, we saw last time, we are accepted. If you're a Christian, you are accepted by the Father. You're welcomed by the Father because you are, it says at the end of verse six, in the beloved. And most uh, of your translations would have beloved capitalized. That is Jesus. When you are in Jesus, God the Father sees you in Jesus. So you're accepted and welcomed by the Father just as he accepts and welcomes his beloved only begotten son. Okay? Already, I feel like we started out our inventory, our in him inventory with a bang. You guys ready to continue? All right. Verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Okay, that's all we're covering today. Okay, But there's a lot in here. Verse 7 says that in Him we have redemption. Once again, in whom? In Jesus, the beloved. You see that in the the previous word of verse 6. In the beloved, in God's beloved Son, we we have been blessed with redemption. Redemption. It's a word that you hear in the slave market. If you've ever been to uh, the uh, Magic Kingdom, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? the slave market, all that stuff... I don't think you'll actually hear the word redemption, but it would fit in the slave market. You would probably hear back in the day, you would hear, you know, who will redeem this slave? That just means to buy. Okay? Uh, J. Vernon McGee points out something that's really interesting, and I thought it was interesting, so I'm sharing it with you. There's actually three words used in the New Testament for redeeming or redemption. The first one is agorazo, and it simply means to buy in the marketplace. Um... Let's say you go to an art store and you buy a painting. Okay, Now the painting is yours. You can do with it what you want. You could keep it for yourself or you could sell it to another. Okay, That's the word that's used in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, you are not your own. Why do you go into sexual sin with your body? Because don't you know your body is not your own? You were bought with a price. That's the word for redemption that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. Quick application. Are you doing, since you've been redeemed, Christian, are you doing what pleases you with your body? Or are you doing what pleases the Lord with your body? But that's not the word that's used here. Second word that it could have been is exagarazzo. And that means... To buy out of, um, literally it means to to buy and to take out of circulation. To to buy only for yourself. Let me give you the same parallel illustration. This time you go to the art store and you see a piece of art there that you love so much 
that you buy it and take it out of circulation. You're like, I'm never going to sell this again. This is, this is that I bought just for myself. Okay, that's exagerazzo. That happens to be the word that's used for redemption in Galatians 3.13, where Paul says, Christ has redeemed us, exagerazzo, from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul says there in uh, Galatians, look, Jesus bought you for himself, never to resale you again. Jesus bought you only for himself, and he's never going to let you go. Maybe somebody here needed to hear that this morning. He bought you for himself. He's not going to let you go. Well, that's not the word that we have here either. The word that we have here is the third uh, possible translation for redemption. In the Greek, it's apolutrosis. And it means not only to purchase at the marketplace, not only to purchase and take out of circulation for yourself, but it's when specifically you go to a slave market and you purchase that slave to set it free. Verse 7, in him, in Jesus, we have that kind of redemption through his blood. Speaking to the Christians here this morning, Christian, you were a slave in the marketplace. You were sold out to the highest bidder. Do you remember your old master? That is the sin that had the highest claim on your will? Don't don't say it out loud, but who was your old master? Which sin was it that owned you? That forced you to submit to its will. You know, there was the day when you, it was a mutually agreeable agreement, it seemed. But then it didn't take long for you to realize that you were owned by this master. Which master was it that forced you? Was it alcohol, money, lust, anger, fear, worry? Drugs. Christian, Paul is referring to, right here, referring to that day when Jesus outbid that ruthless master. The day when Jesus paid a price that was high enough to set you free. What was the price? Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. It's referring to his death. It's saying that the price that he paid to redeem you out of slavery, out of bondage, was his death in exchange for yours. Jesus secured your redemption, Christian. He set you free by giving his perfect life in exchange for your sinful one. Again, this always comes back and it's really important for us to understand When we talk about God being a forgiving God, please don't think that He's forgiving like, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Do we really want a God who judges like that? I mean, if someone has hurt you and your family, do you want a God who's like, ah, doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. No. He has to remain just. 
So this is the, the conundrum that we have presented to God. Once again, how in the world can he forgive a sinner like me and still be just? A, a righteous judge. I mean, any judge that lets me off, if he lets me off with a wink and a nod, he's not just. A righteous, fair judge can only forgive sin after he's executed the punishment. Make sense? That's why the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no way to pay for sin. Y'all, that's why in the Old Testament, people came dragging behind them bulls and rams and goats and lambs. And they had to to present it to the priest and watch the priest slit its neck. So that someone, something could pay for this grievous sin. In the Old Testament, that was the only solution they had. Well, in the New Testament, isn't it interesting, the New Testament opens up with John the Baptist pointing at Jesus and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption. How? Only through His blood. The only way that you've been set free, Christian, is that He has laid down His life in exchange for yours. Now let me talk to the unbeliever that might be here in the room. If you have not repented, if you've not given your life over to Jesus, if you haven't decided to follow Him, if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you're not born again, you have no redemption. You've not yet been set free from that brutal master. But you can be. And I think that's why God brought you here today. If you're not yet a Christian, you can be set free from that master that makes you do its bidding. But maybe here today you are a Christian. You can point back to the time, yes, I I gave my life to the Lord. I even in fostering relationship with Him. Maybe you've been set free from the penalty of sin, but you still seem to be under the power of sin. You still seem to be a slave to that brutal master. Can I ask you, why? Let me ask it a different way. Why have you, who've been set free, why are you still letting the old master call the shots? When the Emancipation Proclamation was signed into law in America, every slave was at that moment free, legally. But the only ones who actually experienced that freedom claimed that freedom was those who walked off the plantation. Maybe I need to ask the question this morning of some of Christians here. What are you doing still hanging around the plantation? Christian, according to this, you're not only free from the penalty of sin, but you can be more and more free from the power of sin the further away you get from the plantation the more you decide to step away from that old 
master. There's an old story about a slave girl on the market. She noticed that the one that was bidding for her was a cruel and ruthless man, a deviant man. As he would bid higher and higher, her world would collapse more and more with each bid. But then another, even more wealthy man, noticed what was going on. And he set in his mind to outbid this cruel master. He paid the price of redemption and the girl, grateful, began to follow him. He turns around and he says, dear, what are you doing? Well, I'm following you home, sir. You bought me. Dear child, I bought you to set you free. When that sunk in, she dropped to her knees and said, I will serve you forever. Did you get it? It's the difference between serving out of obligation and serving out of gratefulness. Yes, Jesus owns you, but he purchased you to set you free and that should make you go, I will serve you forever. That's exactly what Jesus did. He bought you to set you free. And the safest, most joyful place, the freest place, if you will, to be is to serve him forever. So inventory list in him. Number one, we have redemption, freedom. His life in exchange for ours purchases our freedom. Next in our inventory, and we're only going to cover two today. We have freedom in exchange, but we also have forgiveness in abundance. Look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which he, made, uh, which he made to abound toward us. The word forgiveness there. Listen to what it means. Release from bondage or imprisonment. So we have this freedom thing going. It, but it also means forgiveness of pardon of sins. Listen to this. This is the last definition uh, under this, this word. Forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed. Justified. Just as if I had never sinned. Once again, that is the good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus' life in exchange for ours grants us forgiveness. He, he pardons us so completely that it's as if we've never committed them. Y'all, forgiveness is a huge thing in your inventory. Remember David, King David, we tend to call him King David, but you could also call him Adulterer David, uh, Murderer David. He was the one who wrote, Happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. One of the things that Paul wants to do with us as we read through these chapters is to show you how rich you are. If you're talking about inventory, how about this? Every time you sin, it's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. That's pretty amazing. Maybe you say, though, I, okay, I get it, but I don't really understand. I mean, I, I feel like I've kind of used up all of God's forgiveness. Well, here's the best part. We're not just talking forgiveness. We're talking forgiveness, I think you're going to see, in abundance. Look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. How? According to the riches of His grace. Quick, grace. What's the acronym? Anagram? I never know which it is. G-R-A-C-E. 
God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace always means undeserved favor. I don't know why He blesses me, but He does. That's what grace is. Grace describes, that word describes God's over the top. Why would He love me this much? That kind of kindness, graciousness towards you. Okay, that's grace. Now, to add to that word, notice that it says that He gives you forgiveness according to the riches of His grace. So the word grace by itself is already hugely rich. Then he he adds this word, the riches of his grace. Uh, In the Greek it's plutos. Um, It means wealth, extravagance, ridiculously abundant. Okay? And I want you to notice this, that it says that his forgiveness that he offers you, that he gives you, Christian, is not forgiveness out of his abundance, but it says according to his abundance. According to, meaning commensurate with, in line with. Not just out of his abundance, but in line with his abundance. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, let's say you are a waiter or a waitress uh, at Haystacks down the street. Okay? It's popped in my head. Um, in walks Bill Gates. It's going to be a good day here at Haystacks. If he, if he pays you or um, tips you, just out of his abundance. Okay? It means he's got you know, all the money in the world, it seems like. If he, if he tips you out of his abundance, it still could just be 10% of his bill. 20% of his bill. If you do a really bad job, it could be a dollar, I guess. But listen, if Bill Gates tips you according to his riches, that is, commensurate with, in line with his riches, you're going to be rich. Christian, God has granted you forgiveness. Not just out of of the ridiculous wealth of His grace, but it says according to, in line with His ridiculous wealth of grace. And maybe you've forgotten how much wealth of grace He has. I mean, how much of forgiveness is available from Him? I mean, I'm surely at the top edge of it. Well, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, the whole world, some of them won't even use the forgiveness that he gives. The whole world, that whoever would believe on on the the only begotten Son would inherit eternal life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, and he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation, it's a fancy word for payment, he is the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. Sounds like there's a lot of forgiveness available. Unbeliever, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, I don't know how else to say it. He has grace enough for you. For your worst sin. Let me put it this way. The only people that are going to hell are those who refuse His gracious offer to pay for their sin. Believer, Maybe I'm talking with you and you you have grown distant from Him because you've failed Him so often. And maybe you're starting to think that maybe you're, you're coming close to using up His forgiveness. Please, please, Christian, in your inventory, please notice that God has grace enough 
for you. Please, what Paul is trying to do is to get us to where we understand how wealthy we are. If I'm talking about you and you're distant from the Lord because of your sin, just repent and return to fellowship, sweet fellowship with Him. Look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness, riches of His grace, it says, which He made to, there's another extravagant word, abound toward us. Abound. The word, it's, it's another ridiculously wealthy word. It is perusio. It means to be abundantly furnished with, to have an abundance, to abound in a thing, to have way more than you need. It means to have way more than enough. Interesting, it's the same word from Matthew 14, verse 20, where Jesus takes a little kid's lunch and says, I think I can feed these 5,000. Let's see, oh yeah, and the wives and kids too. Yeah, no problem. Matthew 14, 20 says, So they all ate and were filled. And the word filled means they were like glutted. They're like, okay, all right, it's enough. It says, And then they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remain. That's in abundance. It's ridiculous what he's able to do, how, what he's able to provide. It's the same word there, okay? Um, notice too, this is really interesting to me, Matthew 5, verse 20, the same word that Jesus used when he describes how much righteousness you have to have to get to heaven. Jesus says, nobody's getting into heaven unless their righteousness is abundantly, way beyond, exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. For I say to you, Jesus says, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. No one's getting in unless your righteousness compared to these guys is way over the top. Now, when everybody heard those words come from Jesus' mouth, they were stunned. I guess let's all hang it up. There's no way. These guys are uber religious. No one's righteousness can exceed these guys' righteousness. And Jesus says, they're not going to heaven. Y'all, you need tons and tons of righteousness and not one speck of unrighteousness to get into a perfect heaven. Oh, that there was some way that I could get credit for someone else's righteousness. Oh, if there was a way that I could get credit for Jesus' perfect life, if somehow that could go on my tab, that's what we're talking about. That Jesus lived a perfect life and He's willing to put it on your tab. His grace is abounding. It's more than enough to send me, even me, sailing into heaven. Spotless, blameless, How good He's been to me. How good He's been to you. Christian, you're rich. In Himbentory, part two, here's what we've seen today. You have freedom. I don't know if you're using it, but you have freedom from your old master. In exchange, because He gave His life for you. But you also have forgiveness in abundance. It's amazing. Verse 7, I want to close with this. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us, here's interesting, in all wisdom and prudence. One of those precious little babies this morning is named Sophia. See the word wisdom there? In the Greek it's Sophia. 
It means wisdom, broad and full of intelligence, used of the knowledge of very diverse matters. The other word, prudence, there, it means to have knowledge and understanding. It means to be super smart. I don't know if you're putting together here, but what it's saying is that God is extravagant toward you, and He was smart to do it. That's weird. Do you ever look at yourself? I do this. Do you ever look at yourself and say, God, really? You're willing to pay that high of a price for a sinner like me? God, are you, you sure you know what you're doing? I mean, you, you grant me forgiveness according to your ridiculously rich grace. I just use it up and then I need more? Lord, are you sure that you know what you're doing here? Lord, I've been known to squander many a fortune. Lord, I've been known to exhaust a lot of people's patience. Didn't have to laugh that much. <laughs> Lord, are, are you sure it's smart to show that kind of extravagance to someone with my track record? Lord, are you sure you don't have fires remorse? Our God sees the end from the beginning and He is nothing, y'all, if not intentional. Verse 7 again. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. That means God's not stupid for picking you. I might think so. (laughs) You might think that He's foolish for picking me. I might think that it's foolish for him to choose me, and you may say, here, here. I may think that it's foolish for him to choose you, and you may say, that's right. I don't know why in the world he would choose me. You might think that it was a foolish decision on his part, but this ridiculous wealth that he has poured out, Paul is assuring us right here, was done in all wisdom and prudence. It's amazing. I love it because it means that I'm not going to get up into heaven and somebody's going to be able to successfully embarrass God. I can't believe you chose him. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to somehow say that it's a smart thing to choose me. It's amazing. It gives great confidence. That's one of the things that Paul is trying to let us know. Look, you are so secure in his arms. The riches that He has given to you and to me. 